This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. Hey friends, this is Jocelyn K. Levy, founder of We Yogis, um, which is a kids yoga and mindfulness program. I make albums and teacher trainings and classes and also the Ram Das Open Your Heart in Paradise Retreats kids yoga program. And I'm so excited to be here with you today where together we could explore how to bring kids yoga and mindfulness and just how to help them usher them on their spiritual path. And um, I'm so happy because I get to be here with Nina, my dear friend, Nina. Hi, Nina. Hi, Jyoti. (laughs) (laughs) Call me both. Call me both. I love it. Um, And most of you know Nina, um, but just for the people that are new, that are maybe coming over from my We Yogis podcast, The Teachers, Nina has two beautiful albums, and she is a facilitator of kirtan and also chants workshops and also the Hanuman Chalisa workshops at Bhakti Fest usually and then at the retreats. And the one of the most important things <laughs> for me and why I wanted to have you on today, Nina, is because you're a mother. <laughs> And um, you were there with me the first time that I went to Kinshi, um, India, to the Neem Kareli Baba Temple. And you were there and I got to be there with you and your beautiful daughter, Uma. If I remember correctly, she was braiding your hair. Was she in that phase? Yes. And then I was definitely in the phase of braiding her hair. Okay. So it was both ways. Gotcha. (laughs) Yes. And um, I just felt so lucky and fortunate to have you there, um, just feeling like the mother that was overseeing us and also helping me um, figure out what I was doing in that space. But then also just having a sweet child around always helps me feel comfortable because that's where I'm most comfortable is with the kids. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I just want to take a moment to ground down just for myself here and just be present with you. And I have so many questions for you. I don't even know where to begin, but I guess I will start with, you know, in my teacher training for We Yogis and with teachers, obviously we're trying to figure out how to bring spiritual teachings, um, mindfulness teachings of loving kindness and awareness to children. And I would love to know how you brought it to Uma. Um, Yeah, like something like even from the beginning, you know, what were some of the spiritual practices that you did at home and how you included Uma or didn't include? Just if you could give me a nice little overview of whatever you want to share about that. Yeah. I definitely had a wish uh, while I was pregnant with her and also in uh, as a thought of how I wanted to raise her to have have her feel included in whatever practices I was doing. And um, when I was nine months pregnant or eight, nine months pregnant, one of the things that um, I did annually was to sing 108 Hanuman Chalisas on January 1st, which we still do. Mm-hmm. Um, in those years, we were doing it in Shruti Ram's home up in Woodstock. And it's because of him that we've continued this tradition. So I'd like to honor that in him. And um, my traditional role was to be a drummer. You know, I would lead some chanting, but I was always the drummer who was drumming. So you can imagine like an eight month belly and then like the mridanga, like right there. So I remember thinking it was January 1st and Uma's due date was about 10 days or two weeks later. No, she was going to be born in February. So it was like 30 a month later. And um, I just I really felt that she was going to receive the blessings of the of the guru of the divine ones if i did my practice in the same way we choose what we're going to eat how we're going to sleep we care for our body when we have our babies inside same way if i was feeding my feeding myself spiritually she would also be nourished so that was very much a part of my thought process and um, her father um, devdas is also a um, deep practitioner and so there was always puja going on in our house. Uh, when she was born, I decided that I wanted to take her straight away as soon as I could get her vaccinated, because I was one of the moms who uh, chose taking her to India over waiting to get her vaccinated. I know mothers feel differently about that, and everyone should make their choice. But I grew up in so many countries as a child myself. And we were vaccinated all the time. And so it was very much part of my upbringing. So I felt that it would be okay for Uma as well. So we had her vaccinated in the way that they do in in America and then took her to India when she was four and a half months old. And I took her straight to Siddhima, like we didn't do anything else. And, you know, the beauty of Ma is that, um, you know, she was a wife and a mother and a grandmother. And 
every step of my time with her always included a lot of practical discussions about how I was living my life, you know, even before I was married, about my work, um, about marriage. And then when I had Uma, I just, I, I took Uma and I still remember going into Darshan room. If you remember, we used to sit on the floor and there would be a rug on the floor. So I literally, Ma was sitting on the floor in those days. Um, Uma's now 19. So that was in back in 2002. And um, I literally placed Uma on the floor right in front of Ma, you know, just where she was sitting cross-legged. And and Devdas and I were sitting and talking to her and she was just kind of playing with Uma's finger who's, you know, kind of looking up at her like this. It was just the sweetest, like it was everything I dreamt it would be for about five minutes. And then, as you know, <laughs> the babies don't want to be put down. So, you know, she... She was just so fantastic to be with because I could be myself. You know, I've been with other gurus and teachers uh, who are not women. And it's not so easy to be free with your children. You know, I was breastfeeding her. And so she said, oh, just nurse her. You know, it's okay. Like, so I could just, it didn't feel unnatural. Um, I'd have to leave the room or something, you know, something like that. Um, So to answer your question. Um, Ma didn't, she gave me some very specific instructions for Uma um, regarding her upbringing. But one of the most important ones was she said, when you do your puja, keep her in your lap. Mm. Let her start feeling, you know, the effects of the puja and hearing it from the very beginning. And that was already happening, you know, so even from before she was born. So her father, you know, when at night I just, it was his turn to walk her around, you know, he would always sing to her. He sang, you know, all kinds of bhajans, you know, his guru is Amma. And so he had, and we always had the music playing in the house. We had mantras on all the time. Not because we were trying to do anything different, but that's just how uh, we lived our lives. And she started going to um, satsang very early. In fact, the first time I took her out of the house she was born in February and it's freezing cold in New York and uh, I took her out she was two and a half weeks old and I took her to Krishna Das's Kirtan because he was playing like right near my house at Dharma Yoga at the time so she's always been fully just it's just part of her life she went to Amma Satsangs you know by the time she had been to Kenshi when she was a toddler she already could kind of mouth the Hanuman Chalisa, you know, it was all in her mind already. And uh, today I actually picked her up from her dorm. <laughs> I'll tell you a silly story. She'll kill me that I told you. <laughs> I had to make a rush trip to the dorm to pick her up in Manhattan. Why? Because when she was doing her puja in the morning, which I didn't even know that she does every day, um, she was sitting on the floor <laughs> From right under the puja table, a huge cockroach came <laughs> and she just flipped out. <laughs> anyway, so I just, I literally just got home before I talked to you. But point being is that even though I might not have prescribed that she do any kind of puja, she's always found it a place of refuge for her ever since she was in elementary school, middle school. It's not that she was sitting and doing puja every day or anything like that, but she knew 
that in order to find solace or strength or both, that the place to do it is to do practice. And she knows that. She really knows that inside of herself. Mm. So do you feel like that you just having her around and making it accessible and you practicing your practice and doing puja, she was just able to soak it in. It's not like you had to um, consciously do a different practice for her. I didn't um, because the mantras were very easy for her. I find that children actually just pick up things, you know, because they learn so quickly from listening. Um, I didn't have to explain anything to her. She just heard it and was able to repeat, mm-hmm. you know. So now she's, as she's older, she's getting to understand the meaning of things, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is an entirely different thing. Um, the main thing was that, you know, there were sometimes we would do meal prayers, you know, like a gratitude prayer. Um, but we kept it very informal and kind of fun. And she's she's musical. And so we had a harmonium, we had a drum in the house. And so when she was taking her first steps, actually, when she was, uh, how old was she? Whatever, 12, 13 months old. She was literally, we were sitting at the puja table and just singing. And she, you know, the little ektaras, like the Bengalis walk around with, with the one string. She had it in her hand and she was like walking around the living room. That was, those were her first steps. You know, so... No, I didn't do anything different. But what I did do, Jyoti, was that I did tell her the stories. Mm. We talked about the stories of the Ramayana, like one of the stories that um, she did watch a little bit of television when she was young. Like we we picked specific things that she could watch. And uh, so, for example, there was an animated version of of the story of Hanuman. Uh Uh-huh. And she listened to it and she watched it over and over and over and over and over as kids do. You know, they like the repetition. So um, there wasn't much that we had to do um, other than tell the stories. The stories were a big part of um, her understanding her place in like Leela. And if you look, you know, now she watches Marvel movies and <laughs> and she she can actually see how in so many ways they're parallel they run parallel to spiritual teachings if you like go deeper it's a big part of what she does actually and um, so she's finding a way to align you know to bring in these sacred teachings from the east in fact one of the papers she's going to write now is about how eastern philosophy is in mainstream um, film and you know nowadays so yeah yeah no, I would love to actually know what the Hanuman shows you are watching because I find sometimes as I go down into holes of YouTube to search, some of the cartoons that I'm finding are actually kind of scary. <laughs> you know? yeah. They're intense. And I'm like, I don't know, Jaya. You know, yeah, I've just been having a hard time trying to find like some of the Hanuman cartoons. Yeah, no, some of them are this. We had only one. It was a DVD. I'll, I'll go pull it out and I'll, I'll send it to you later. I don't even know how I got it. I think when I was in India in a bookstore, I found it was very well made, like a really good quality animation. And all through the film is verses of the Hanuman Chalisa is like the is the score of the of the film. 
So it wasn't scary, but you know, like all these tales, um, there are battles, right? Yeah. There are demons. Such as life. <laughs> and so I I allowed for her to be exposed to, to that because I know that some mothers make choices to not show or expose their children to violence. And um, But, you know, Hanuman was fighting battles and rakshasas and demons and, you know, there was ten-headed demons. But um, she grew up with that. Yeah. No, I mean, that's nice. I find that um, I've been trying to, you know, as as Jaya grows up, trying to figure out what traditions we want to create within our family. And I do find that I am trying to actively find practices that we could do together, whether we say at nighttime, the things we're grateful for, or, or, you know, or meditation in the morning, like sitting in front of um, the altar and puja there. But it's nice to hear that you were just kind of just trying to immerse her. And sometimes it's just that easy of just doing mm-hmm. your own practice and not having to overthink it. Yeah, I mean, you brought her to the retreats, you know, you brought her to the Maui retreats and she was exposed, uh, amongst other things, I'm sure, um, to just people sitting and listening to like Ram Das's voice yeah. or, um, or swimming in the ocean with him. Or hearing Krishna sing a little bit. Or maybe, you know, in your wee babies, you did something that was for the children. But I find that you don't really have to change it for them. Yeah. Really. I'm finding that it's difficult during this time. Because even though it's only been, what, almost a year and a half since Ram Das left his body. And we haven't done the retreats. Um, she still has trouble remembering. I mean, she... She listens to Krishna Das and sometimes she'll see Ram Das's picture and she'll be like, I miss Ram Das. Um, but she doesn't remember some like the retreats yet. So I just I'm I guess as a parent, I'm just hoping and wishing those things come back soon just so I can immerse her in the sweetness again because yeah, I feel like we're so far away from it. And and on that note, too, I feel like so many parents are so far away from it when it comes to just busy lifestyle. Um, and so I guess that's another question I have for you is what you would ask and bring. Um, but what simple practices you could recommend for busy parents? Um, how old is, how old is Jaya? She's four now. Yeah. So now is the time when she'll start remembering things, you know, that their memory starts really now. Um, busy parents in the same way, you have to find time for yourself to do practice. Like that's the most important thing is that I don't think that you can immerse your child in the practice if you don't do it yourself. That's the most important thing. Don't have to try to do anything with the kids. Just you can do little, like, for example, Uma liked to color. That was a big part of her. Uh, if you remember when she was small or maybe like when she used to be up on stage and I was chanting with uh, Krishna Das, she would sit next to me with her coloring book. Mm-hmm. So the coloring books that I bought for her. Yeah, we had some princess ones, you know. Uh, Snow White and all that but we also had mandala coloring books 
Um, we had um, other coloring books we'd picked up of, again, stories of Ramayana or Sri Krishna or, you know, just things like that, just to kind of keep it in their sphere. And they really learn from you. Mm -hmm. So whatever you do, if you have a simple mantra practice that you do every day, she will hear it and she'll come and sit with you some days and some days she won't. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when Uma got older and she had anxiety, uh, you know, in middle school and such, you know, as as they, as time goes by, it can happen. Um, I, I gave her something of a more solid practice where I said, well, here's a mala. And, you know, you, you've heard so many mantras, like what's a mantra that that appeals to you? So she picked one. And I said, every time you feel that arise, try to use a mantra and count out 108. Like it's, it feels solid, you know, because you're holding something in your hand. Um, but I have to say, Jyoti, I just, I never gave her anything special as a, as a practice for her. She was just part of what was going on in the house all the time. Um, but you could try, you know, giving her, a, singing a mantra with her. See how that feels, you know, anything that you like with your guitar, you, you do a sing along, you do it call and response so that she, you sing a line and she sings a line, something like that. And reading books, you know, we, in our house, um, we had a lot of picture books also um, about, about the, not the scary Amar Chitra Katha comics, <laughs> not those. Uh, but there are other stories that are made for children that are, you know, uh, if you like these kind of Eastern philosophy teachings. Uh, I remember once somebody gave me a beautifully illustrated book about this, the, the cycle of life, the wheel of life, talking about death and reincarnation. Because one thing that came up from Uma when she was small was her fear of losing her parents. Many children have that too. Mm -hmm. Just a natural kind of a thing. And so by reading the story and explaining how animals and, you know, you do what you can, but keep them close like you do and have them be part of your practice. And don't, I think it's important to not force anything on them. That's another thing. Yeah. I mean, I find especially teaching yoga mindfulness classes, I have a lot of parents that come in and they're like, oh, this is not yoga. I want my kid to meditate, you know, and they really are animate about their kids getting calm and being able to meditate. And I find one of the things that I've seen with Uma, you know, with her even at the kirtans and her coloring on stage in the back, um, to some, you would have thought, oh, she's so bored. She's just off in her corner, not soaking it up. But now, um, as she is, what, 19 now? <laughs> 19. Um, you know, she has totally come out to be this amazing singer and knows all this chance. Whereas, like, I feel like when I met her, she wasn't singing yet. She was pretty shy. Um, and it was, like you said, it was nothing that you guys forced on her. She was just so immersed in it. And she totally blossomed into this amazing artist and, you know, knows all the chants and the kirtans and everything. So there's, yeah, I definitely hear you when you say not to force. And I, I always have to reassure my students, um, parents that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I wanted her to come to the yoga classes, you know, for example, and 
she came once or twice in the mommy retreats and um, because actually Ambika's daughter, Leela, was also there. So they went together, but it was never her path. You know, she just, so she didn't, she didn't practice the yoga. I thought it'd be really good for her body. But now as part of her exercise regimen, you know, one day is, is a yoga class. So I don't know. It's, I think that you, it's, I think we we want our children to to uh, be a particular way, follow a particular path, and the only path that exists for them is their own. Yeah, you know. And what Siddhima said to me when I first took Uma when she was a baby, she said, "Nina, she already knows everything. Hmm. All you have to do." is raise her, you know, feed her, show her love, give her good um, education and raise her to be a capable adult. Mm. That's all that she, that's all that she ever said. And, and of course, when she was a baby, she said, keep her in your lap when you're doing puja, which I did. So while I was nursing, I would be singing to her. Again, it was just very natural. It wasn't like, Oh, okay. So now I'm gonna, you know, like I'm a nurser and I'm gonna sing this particular chant. It was just very much part of the. Um, but you know, I had my um, over ambitious motherly um, moments too. Like, do you remember when the, they tell you when the children can recognize black and white? Mm-hmm. When they're really small. So I remember doing this crazy thing where she was in one of those uh, automatic swings. You know, like the the. You turn it on and it'll swing so you can make your rice for like five minutes. So I put, <laughs> I'm laughing when I say this. I drew a picture of Amma and a picture of Maharaji in black and white and stuck it on the thing so that that's what she would be looking at. <laughs> you know, so we soaked in somehow though. <laughs> I don't know. It's just soaked in because... Ma said to me when we when I took Uma when she was small, she said, look at the samskaras of these kids that they were able to come here before they were born. Mm. And you, you guys were in your 30s before you got here. So they're already, they're already here. Yeah. For us to do. Yes, I do definitely think about that and the blessings, um, as you know, I always joke around about how I'm not the most graceful pregnant woman (laughs) because I'm just full of anxiety and um, chemically just off. But, you know, my first Mother's Day, we got to be in Ram Dass's house and Gagin was cooking us mango pancakes and we got to sit there and have breakfast with everyone and Jaya in my arms. And I was just thinking, yeah, just, some the samskara just all the blessings that already have been planned out and you know as much as I have my own anxieties and fears I'm like oh but I'm here now I'm spending my first mother's day at Ram Dass's house you know <sighs> I mean you were able to check in with yourself you know and to find that moment inside of yourself that comes from doing practice you know so the more practice that you do um in addition to whatever else you might be doing to help you with your anxiety, the practice is just a, a, a place of refuge and it becomes habitual after a while. Mm-hmm. And if your children recognize that that's what 
it is for you. They'll just instinctively know that. It's not even that you have to say anything. Um, they will just do it on their own. Yeah. And, you know, it does help. The COVID is very hard, though, Jyoti. I mean, I have to say, like, I'm thinking about when Uma was small, we uh, were able to be with others in the satsang who had kids. Mm-hmm. You know? So um, we would go to Amma satsangs and full of children, you know, and they had just like you have wee babies in the Maui retreat. You know, they had a little crash for the like the, the, the babies and they could all play together. And and then Amma made it so accessible for kids, even though we were there all night, you know, many, I don't know if you've ever been for an AMA program, but they can go all through the night. We just kept her with us. We had a stroller. Everybody brings everything. The chanting's going on. And um, she did have her first feeding uh, from AMA before I gave her solid food, you know, so I I did little things like that, just, but none of it, it's just what I wanted. wasn't necessary in, in, in any particular way. It's just if we can actually believe that the sadhana and the practice that we're doing and the intention with which we do it and where we place our awareness, if we can trust that, that gets transferred to the kids. But then they're also born with their own samskaras from their own life. So we don't know you know, how it's going to be. I mean, maybe Uma turned out this way, but she may stop doing, I know, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea. <laughs> Everything's in the unknown, hence being a parent. <laughs> you know, you are right about it being a very just hard time during the pandemic, which hopefully we're coming out of, but that was, and has been one of my biggest cravings is just community and satsang. And you mentioned Uma when she was in that phase, um, getting very scared of losing parents and and death. And I feel like we are so full on in that topic right now. Um, you know, I feel like after losing you know, Goggin, Jaya's dad's brother, Gavin, and um, then also the passing of Ram Das. You know, and I, I find in the last retreats with We Yogis, that's why I ended up choosing the song, the butterfly song that the kids sang, um, just to kind of help them with the transition of what was going to be of that cycle of life um, as we were singing about that song in a very basic way. But man, are we just so full on in that? And it's a hard one to navigate, especially during the pandemic, because obviously collectively we're surrounded and by fear and death. And um, we're feeling that as adults and they're feeling that as kiddos. And it's a very interesting thing to navigate. I mean, and you said you had a good book about the cycle of life that you read with Uma. Yes, I will find it. I think I gave it to Genevieve when she had her babies. Um, It's somewhere. I I, I will look for it for you and I will send it to you um, so that you can add it in the text or whatever for the podcast. I don't remember. I feel like this is like the kind of thing that um, so many, I mean, there's not too many of us families at the 
retreats. I mean, it's slowly growing. You know, when I was there, obviously, like Uma and Shruti and her kids, there was like a small little pod, but it's slowly growing where more families are coming in. And I think having the Weeokies programming, more families are coming. But this is really why I was so excited about doing this guest podcast here on the Be Here Now Network, because I feel like it's so important. This is some information that we all need, like how you teachers, you know, um, have brought this to the kids, how we could more so help our kids, more resources for books, for the Hanuman videos. Like, it's like, where do we find this stuff? Because it's, it really is information that's not talked about ever, you know? Yeah, um, I'm happy to to look into that for you. But I just want to say that, you know, we have to allow our children to be children, mm-hmm. which in this COVID time is so difficult because they cannot play with their peers. And that is essential for kids like no matter how much love we give them and we play with them which is very important we should play with them too as we do but they need to play with other children you know they just need it and it's hard now and a lot of children are suffering and not just little ones even my college going uh, child you know she's in the dorm but all her classes are virtual she can she sees like one or two people on her floor but they're not allowed to see anybody else and so they're craving that that social interaction that's a big part of them growing up so hopefully that will change um you know for all of us sometime soon um and when they're older they're able to do things on zoom but it doesn't even really satisfy in the same way it doesn't satisfy me i'll tell you that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't satisfy in the same way. Um, but I think that the more that we can do with them in terms of just playing, singing, drawing, writing, reading stories, walking around, looking at nature, going to the playground and, you know, swing with her and whatever you do, go swimming, um, walking, and um, just that's so much part of what mindfulness practices is like learning to be here now as someone we know love very well said um, because they do that naturally. Mm -hmm. So why pull them out of, out of that state into doing something that we think is good for them? Let them just be here now. (laughs) Let them just be here now and be part of your environment. And that's why I think it's very important that whatever practices you might be telling the children to do, you have to be doing them yourself. Yeah. But, you know, it's just not a prescription to be given to children. You know, in our elementary school, um, when Uma was small, I had a couple of my friends come and teach a yoga class as part of the gym. And the kids loved it. And then there were other parents who were very involved in uh, meditation with Sharon Salzberg, you know, because Sharon was teaching in New York. And it was actually uh, included in the program that before midterms for some of the younger kids that they would have a check-in moment. They called it check-in, I think, mm-hmm. um, just to like touch that place of anxiety or worry about the test and then let go of it. So that that was a sort of a simple mindfulness practice for the kids, you know, so that they knew that they had this tool to come back to. 
Yeah. Check-ins, I feel like, are key, you know, for every age, whether it be at the moment of pausing and just seeing each other and teaching kids to be present just by actually just listening and seeing. I always say with the little ones, just saying hello with your eyes. But then, you know, with the growing into junior high and high school, but just obviously just being able to check in and feel like what's going on and subtle body and emotional land, you know. Um, I do have one question around, I mean, not just one question, lots of questions, obviously. Um, you know, we're talking about just letting kids be, you know, be in the moment, be as they are. Um, I do find culturally a big difference. Um, I remember being at the ashram and Kinchi and these little kids coming in and doing the pranam in front of Maharaji and then sitting there and doing the whole Hanuman Chalisa and Sukhasana and just really just being there and being present. Whereas like, you don't see that in the Western culture, you know? Um, and I just wonder if you have any thoughts around that of why that is happening. I mean, sometimes I have thoughts. Is it because we have just separated the two too much? Like the parents are going to do their spiritual practice and the kids are going outside to the pool instead. You know, what do you feel has made that big difference and shift in cultures? Um. I'm not sure. I mean, when I went to church, because I did go to church um, when we lived in countries that were primarily Christian or Catholic, um, kids were asked to go to church with their parents. Mm -hmm. But I recognize that in our satsang of this Eastern philosophy, there are many people who came from Catholic homes and basically ran away from that um, way of being brought up where they felt that they were being forced into something. But that being said, um, there must have been a misconnect of what was happening in church and what was happening at home, because it intuitively may not have felt right for these people. I'm not sure. But what I will say about Indians is that, um, you know, we have altars in our homes, which mm -hmm. is done every day in the home. And so ever since we were young, we had a very simple puja in my house, nothing fancy. Uh, my mom would just light a lamp and she would wave an, uh, an incense and she would just say a very tiny prayer. And she would ask all of us to just come and take the light from the flame. Mm. That was it. Nothing else. And sometimes we didn't want to. And then we wouldn't. But she did it. She did it and she did it continuously and she still does it. And so it became a part of our lives. And when I had Uma, I wanted to have that ritual as well in our life, you know. So a daily practice came about that way. But I, I will say that I was probably more strict with Uma than maybe some of my Western mother friends in terms of asking her to do things that she might not have felt like she wanted to do. And I would say, but you're just going to have to do it. So I had this Indian style of, of raising her, which may or may not appeal to people in the West. Not about everything, but important things like this, like um, 
if we were going to someone, if we were going to the temple and, you know, but I was reading some of my old journals and I, uh, she would pranam. Pranam was very easy for her to do when she was small. But like, I wanted her to jump into Siddhima's arms and be like loving. And, you know, kids don't do that when they don't feel like it. Yeah. You know, but now she remembers her and she misses her. Mm. Um, so I think that, like I said, I keep going back to this, that if you do your practice and she is around while you do it, she will learn to do it the way you do it. Mm-hmm. And whatever that is for you, it, you know, it may not look like it does in, in Kenchi. The why those families are that way is because those families do that in their home. And they're used to the parents bowing down at the altar. So them doing it is no big deal. You know, they'll just do it again. It's also very much a cultural thing, right? To pranam. It's a very Indian thing. We don't do that here. Uh, But what you said before about saying hello and looking in a person's eyes, that's a very important greeting that you're teaching her. That's the most important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, find the thing that works within our culture here. I think that's really important. And, um, you know, like even Amma, when she, <laughs> we, when she gave her programs, uh, they, you had to keep your shoes outside before you entered like some giant ballroom in a hotel or something. <laughs> and it just got to be so crazy that finally Amma said, never mind, let them just wear their shoes when they come in. That's what she did. So, you know, she's just wanting to make it easier for those of us here to to be as we are when we're here. And um, that's just a cultural thing, what's happening in India. It's it's not necessarily something that we have to inculcate or, or recreate in our life here. Yeah. Um, being kind to others, acknowledging others, um, trusting in oneself. Being able to speak, maybe I like I one one of the wishes I had for Uma was that she's able to articulate what might, she might be feeling that, that might not feel right because I didn't have that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, because my parents didn't have that opportunity. So open discussion was not really encouraged in our home when we were small. Mm. It is now, and my mother is seventy nine, and now there's tremendous open discussion in the house, but not when we were kids. And it's because they didn't have that, you know, when they were young, my mother and my father. So I wish that for Uma. Like I try to really stay with that as much as possible, that she feels free to be who she is, say what she's feeling, and my my work is to let that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think as parents, that's that should be all of our deep work, especially for little girls of the time and, and for boys. But especially right now, as women come up in the world, just like to always be able to speak your mind and and be free. You know, you 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 were talking about culturally, you know, how things are how things are in certain homes and, you know, Uma being immersed in your practice, in your home, and the way that you created your space. I know that you and Devadas, um, Uma's father, had separate homes. I don't know when that began, 
But were you guys on point and on the same page about how you were raising Uma spiritually? I know that's, you know, in every parenting relationship, things are kind of not always in balance or we're not always in sync with our um, partners in crime when it comes to parenting. Were you guys in sync when it came to what you guys were doing spiritually and parenting wise? So um, Devdas and I split up when Uma was about four and a half years old. So she was just at the age that Jaya is now. And my greatest concern at that point was her feeling the love of both of her parents and not feeling any of the um, whatever might have been going on between the two of us. We didn't want to project that on her. That we were in agreement uh, about, both of us, for sure. And I know I trusted that he was just going to um, continue to live his life and do his practice as he's always been doing, and she would be part of it. And I would be doing what I would be doing, and she would be part of that. But we definitely, um, for example, like small things where... Um, we had to split our time with her and, um, you know, commonly you spend two weeks vacation and there's all this stuff. But if I wanted to take Uma away for a long time and I was going for a longer period of time to go and see Siddhima, for example, you know, Devdas was never, yes, is the answer to your question. We were very much in alignment of being in about being exposed to the teachings and to teachers and to the guru. So that was never an issue for the both of us. Um, he, I didn't explain to him what he should do, nor did he explain what I should do. He just did what he did. I did what I did. And when I needed to have more time with her, he allowed for that. When she needed more time with him, when Amma was in town and they went to all of those satsangs together, we just planned, planned it like that. But what we really did agree on, and this was very important, was taking care of her health in the best way possible and her education and time with her extended family, you know, grandparents and aunts and uncles and so forth. So that was really the core of where we agreed. And what we agree on is obviously a result also of what our spiritual path is, you know. So, um, yeah, but I know many homes where uh, I have a very good friend who came to Kenchi with me many years, and uh, her daughter is just a little younger than Uma. Her husband never came with us. You know, he was just, yeah, you go, that's fine. And uh, there was never a clash there. But her daughter is not so interested mm. in any of this. And uh, my friend, her mother, doesn't seem to mind. And which is perfect. You know, she's just letting her daughter be who she is. Because ultimately, it'll all come around. We're all under Maharaji's blanket. It's okay. They're too young. You know, we can't make them do practice. They have to want to do it. We came to it because we needed it. <laughs> we needed help. So we got there. Um, and they will find it when they need it. 
Yeah. Yeah, as we did. I agree. <sighs> well, I know we're almost running out of time here. I, I feel like we're going to have to do multiple podcasts because I also have so many questions about <laughs> bringing deities to kids in the Western world, but we won't, we won't go there yet because that opens up a whole different um, conversation. But there's, I know you have so much um, information in um, that brain of yours that I need to pick out slowly. Um, but I do have one more question for you before we sign off here. And that is how your spiritual path has been influenced by being a mother. Um, I don't think I can separate the two, actually, uh, in the sense that I wished to be a mother always, as far as I can remember, you know, as a young girl and then as a teenager. And um, I always wanted to be a mother. It was something that came very naturally to me. But as life would have it, I ended up not having a child until I was um, 36 years old. So I spent a lot of time waiting, you know, for the right, uh, for her to arrive. And it was literally when I had given up and I said, you know, okay, so I'm not going to have a child in this particular way. Uh, maybe I'll adopt a kid, you know, something will happen. Well, what happened was Devdas was sent to me and we had a baby like right away. And, um, I think that the way the culture is in India, I, I also didn't have any ideal of being enlightened. If I had gone down this path of being enlightened in the traditional kind of Eastern philosophy way of like, which is very male focused, I have to say, um, if you go down that road, you know, you, you don't want to, you, you don't want to have attachment to this, that, and the other, but what happens when you have a kid? All you can think about is the kid. So this, so you use that experience to stay really mindful about what's going on in that moment. Mm -hmm. And if that means tending to the needs of the child and multitasking and doing 500 other things, and then coming back to a place of, okay, wait, I need to a restart here. You can use your practice to help you with that. But for me, raising a child, letting her be who she is, uh, giving her the things that I thought I needed to do as her mother, because we do have to raise our children. We have to feed them. We have to take care of their health. We have to um, give them an education if, that, if that's whatever the education. Um, and show them love. You know, how can we be the best parents where we try our best to not to not put conditions on the love that we um, that we are showing our children, you know, but we're human. And so it's always going to be a little bit of, well, could you just do this and then we'll do this? You know, like there's a little bit of a, a give and take that goes on. But if we can do as little of that as possible and just love them, play with them. I, for me, she is the center of my universe. 
still. And I'm slowly trying to move out of that. You know, I'm now, you know, I'm 56 years old. It's 20 years later. And um, I see she's being her own person. You know, when she had to move out into the dorm, it was like it broke my heart. Never mind that she was a 20-minute drive from my house, but still. Um, but it's natural, too. Like, and now she's moved out, but she had to call me today because she had a cockroach in her room, so I had to go get her. Um, but I just, it's all a spiritual path, our whole life, mm-hmm. whether we have children or we don't. How do we open our hearts into a wide, compassionate space and include everyone, our children, our sisters, our brothers, our parents, our grandparents, all our friends, everyone. Our partners. (laughs) Our partners. (laughs) That's a big one. Yeah, I I definitely agree. It's the um, biggest spiritual teaching and practice of how do we truly just stay in that place of unconditional love and presence with our children? And I feel like as a parent, yeah, that's, I mean, we, that's our biggest spirit. I mean, we, that's our, that's our practice daily, our daily practice to not get frustrated or, you know, or if we get frustrated to be able to explain what's happening with us, like really be mindful and, and tuning to what's happening inside us emotionally and being able to explain it and help these um, children of ours have a whole brain understanding of (laughs) what's happening. We can try, you know, they're still small. They have to grow. They have to learn. And so we're the ones, we're the adults here. So how do we um, align ourselves with, whatever emotions or reactions that might be going on and how do we find a way to be less reactive maybe Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's very important it's hard it's really hard when your body is tired you know especially when they're really tiny you have very little buffer zone there too Um, but it's a practice and I see my young friends like you and others who have had children after I've had Uma and I watch them and it's beautiful to see how you are with your children. It's really beautiful. And um, we can all learn from each other, which is why I think something like We Babies is a wonderful thing because you learn from the other mothers, the other children learn from the other children. And um, it takes a village. It okay. takes a village <laughs> to raise a child. But yeah, it's all spiritual practice, all of it. It really is. It really is. And I, you know, let's, let's end on that note that it's all a spiritual practice and let's create spaces where we're just truly inclusive with our children as we're living these practices in real time. And um, as we're on our spiritual path and just so much gratitude that you took the time to be here with me on on the first We Yogis like podcast on the Be Here Now guest podcast. So thank you, Be Here Now Network. And thank you, Nina. I love you. I love you too. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> thank you. Bye.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.